In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. Chapter 1, Wayfair welcomes you to the neighborhood. Our hero, Titus Burgess, ambled down the stylish street of an enchanting utopia. A woman waved from a chic lounger. Welcome to the neighborhood," she said, where Wafer helps everyone create a home they love. Titus stared in awe. Bohemian Boulevard, Trendsetter Terrace, Mid-Century Circle. Titus, hmm? you're reading the Wayfair catalog. Oh, you'll love Chapter 2. Wayfair's fast and free shipping saves a potluck. Wayfair, every style, every home. everybody, welcome to Wizard and the Bruiser. I'm your filthy, magical wizard, Holden McNeely. And I'm your rough and tumble, big, beefy boy, Bruiser, Jake Young. You're scaring me, Jake. Ooh, there's things written on my knuckles. You're scaring me. And today, y'all, pull out your black eyeliner. Get, <laughs> get your Reaper masks on from Overwatch. It is time for the OG Edgelord. We are doing an episode about Spawn, bitches! Hell yeah! Do you want to get see a bunch of blood-ass blood and some <laughs> dark-ass shit in the 90s, you shithead? What it's- if Spider-Man, instead of fighting supervillains, he fought fucked up serial killers that like they went way too into the serial killers motivations and personal dialogue to the point where you're like okay chill a little yeah because hell is rad you tools you thought venom had a fucked up mouth wait till you see these boyos oh my god spawn the 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 comic book phenomenon in the 90s first ran in may of 1992 created by todd mcfarlane as one of the uh, co-founder of Image Comics, and it was one of the first big, big titles for Image Comics, along with Young Bloods and um, Savage Dragon. Savage Dragon, he's a big, strong, mean man. Don't forget Wildcats. Wildcats. Um, I love how they always made fun of Wildcats, and like all the other heroes made fun of them and stuff. Uh, that was pretty. That was a fun thing about Image. Well, but you try coming up with a cool acronym. <laughs> Covert Action Teams. Is that what that meant? Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, uh, this is an interesting time for comic books. It's like, uh, how do we get into this entry point? Well, why don't we start about uh, with a little bit about kind of the launching pad for how Image Comics started. Um, originally, Todd McFarlane was working for Marvel, and he became like a rock and roll superstar. Uh, it is you. You cannot 
we're going to make fun of Todd McFarlane in a way that we're making fun of ourselves. Yes, because, I'll, I, okay, full disclosure, by the way, I, I was an avid collector of Spawn. I collected up through issue 40, Marcus. I think I had up through issue 65 or 70. I had all of the action figures. I had a super cool medieval Spawn action figure. I had figure. a violator. I collected all of the coupons to get the special limited edition red violator figure. I had Spawn Pogs. <laughs> you you tool! I'm just gonna call everybody tools throughout this uh, throughout this episode, because just to get into the mindset of where I was at at that time. Oh, in the filthy, dirty night. Video games weren't like uh, were still very heavily controlled. They were very family friendly. Uh, you know, they were. Uh, you couldn't see as many horror movies as you can now. Like uh, media was restricted. There was no. There was like dial up internet, but it wasn't as as uh, media saturated. So Ooh, li- very first website I ever went to spawn. Yay! <laughs> Boom. There you so go. So literally, the sole source of adolescent edgy content, the one focal point for every 11 through 14-year-old that just had that fucking horny anger in their bile ducts was comic books, and nobody tapped into it harder than Todd McFarlane. With Spawn. Right before that, though, what I was getting up, uh, leading up to is he was working at Marvel, and he became like a giant rock and roll hit with Amazing Spider-Man and his depiction of the first images of Venom. He was the one who kind of brought Venom into the fold he uh, you know there's been debates over how much of a hand he had to play into the actual concept of the character but he was the artist who drew him for the first time and um his his comic book covers for amazing spider-man they just popped they were so eye-grabbing uh and they really just grabbed the attention from the get some some core things that todd mcfarland did very well was uh spider-man would always be in like a very uh expressive postures like people would say that he didn't it was like he didn't have bones mm. uh the webbing took on this very like dark organic like all-consuming uh presence throughout the page so spider-man would always be entangled and wrapping and 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 covered in these like very specific webs um uh, people say that uh, it was just the fact that uh, Todd McFarlane loved drawing capes and was upset that uh, Spider-Man didn't have one, that he just made the webs this flowing presence throughout his artwork. Uh, in addition to that, Todd McFarlane talks about how when he was put on the book, Spider-Man was still kind of stuck in the 60s. Like, mm-hmm. he was dating Mary Jane, a fashion model, and she still looked the exact same way that, like, Sal Buscema drew him back in the day. And then Todd McFarlane gave her giant pointy tits. <laughs> giant pointy tits. There would be just, into, it's like, so you thought, uh, hold on, wait, so Todd McFarlane's accent is this very weird, like. But, but he, it sounds like his lip just got numb from no, coming from the dinner. But it's, there's, also, there's also, like, a really fast-talking, like, but Canadian Brooklyn. I don't know how to, how to describe it. Like, you got, <laughs> Canadian you know, Brooklyn. It's Canadian Brooklyn. Uh, so, so he talks about like uh, you know ah. he's a young guy. He's like a New York photographer, photographer, and he got a you know he's got a model for a girlfriend. Of course he's gonna like take sexy pictures. He of talks her. like a porn director. Is what yes. he talks like a director a very, of porno- like, pornographic, coked up. There's a trashy coked. porn films. Yeah, yeah. They the women sign a waiver that says you know P O K question mark. And they sign their name next to it. That's it was the way uh, it was you know it was the it was the nineties. You tell me Mary Jane didn't own a curling iron. I I I, I, I dialed her up real good. <laughs> It's like her ass went around the back of her and met her tits. Was, everything was so protruding and huge. And um, so uh, then he did the most rock and roll thing you could possibly do based off of the success of Spider-Man and co-formed his own independent rock and roll 
comic book uh, publishing co called Image Comics. Uh, now, I uh, did some research, and in a uh, documentary called, like, The Devil You Know Inside. Of or, course, it's or, called or, that. Uh, it was a Canadian-produced documentary about Calgary's favorite son, because uh, the McFarland family was in, uh, grew up in Canada and moved around, like, between the Pacific Northwest and Western Canada. Um, and... Uh, Tom DeFalco is interviewed, a former Marvel editor-in-chief uh, mm. in his very nice Jewish apartment. And uh, he talks about how uh, Tom McFarlane uh, drew a uh, panel of, of uh, the juggernaut getting stabbed through yeah. the helmet's eye hole yeah. and out the back in Fuck a bloody yeah. mess. And Tom DeFalco is like, Listen, I, there's nothing wrong with that, but it's just not in the Spider-Man book. Which he's right. <laughs> he's fucking right. This little thing we got got the comics code authority. We're still kind of dealing please with. Please don't, please don't stab the juggernaut through the fucking eye socket. You fucking squirrely Canadian weirdo. But we wanted edge. The kids wanted more edge to our comics because I remember. Okay, and this is the other thing we need to talk about before getting directly into Spawn. We need to describe the the uh, the environment. Uh, uh, that this was all existing in the the uh, the spec spectacular boom of comic books that happened. Now this is, by the way, the time from my childhood that I was collecting comics. This is when I entered it right then and there, and I entered it in in perfect spectacular boom fashion in the sense that my brother showed up to to our home he handed me spawn one through three all wrapped in the plastic with the boards under them something unheard of at that time for me and he said take care of these these are precious these are going to be worth thousands you collect this comic now this is what you do you're going to get uh, each one every issue i've started you on it this is going to be your college fund this is going to be you're going to put your kids to college with this money uh, can we, uh, as always, can you just double check a CCG graded nine pointer above uh, uh, spawn number one? I have the pricing guide right here. Uh, can I tell you what spawn number one through ten cost approximately? And are we what grade are we talking here? Like nine point eight? I think CGC. This was just sort of a basic listing. Do you have a more a clearer listing? I have. I definitely. I have uh, the value of a nine point eight okay. spot number one. I'm talking like that is the highest price that anybody is ever going to pay for a spawn number one. It hasn't and been almost, breathed on. Hasn't been breathed on. Almost impossible I've, to find on, wait, something. Never, in this uh, what does CCG stand for again? Uh, comics grade something. Come come. But that's like if <laughs> come, you come right come and come and come grade because <laughs> you can find a tattered like. Amazing Spider-Man number one, but it's if it's dog-eared, if it's torn up, the cover's missing. Like that'll cost less, so you send it to the CCG grading uh, institute, and they will like stamp it and be like, "If this is this perfect." Yeah, and it costs thirty dollars to do that, by the way. So mm-hmm. you're already losing thirty bucks off the top if you get the CGC seal of approval. So spot number one worth zero dollars. That's my guess. Uh, sixty dollars. Whoa. Okay. And that is at the top, 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 top tier. You can get... It has get... never been exposed to oxygen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can get a copy of Spawn number one in mint condition. It's going to cost you about 10 bucks. Now, give a look at Spawn number nine. little foreshadowing here. That was the one co-written with Neil Gaiman. Hmm. Take a look at Spawn number nine. Spawn number nine. Does it, is it in there? Uh, no, this is just on Spawn number one. Oh, okay. Gotcha. 
for me, I have spawn number nine listed at $28. And that is the second highest, most valuable spawn comic book past spawn number one, according to my notes here. There is an alternate cover that's a lot more rare that I believe was listed at something like $120. And that is literally the most valuable. Alternate covers, foil covers, the collector's boom was yes. happening. Holograms, dude, everywhere on everything. I remember because that was the whole thing. It was mm. like, uh, you know, uh, essentially what happened was in 1986, around that time, comics got a resurgence in popularity due to The Dark Knight Returns and The Watchmen. As that was going on, uh, there were all these stories coming out. Holy shit. Action Comics number one, first appearance of Superman, is now selling for over a million dollars. Mm-hmm. There were all these stories about that, like the the first appearance of Wolverine, stuff like that. Everybody ran out to the stores to grab stuff. Uh, at the same time, around 19, in 1992, the death of Superman came out. So everybody was like, holy shit, death of Superman. If I get it and put it in some really fancy plastic <laughs> and hold on to it for like 20 years, it's going to be worth a million billion dollars. Hey, do you think uh, the internet and video games and movies will uh, completely usurp uh, comic books as the dominant form of childhood entertainment and uh, <laughs> thus leave any cultural value that these artifacts have down the toilet? Hey, do you think that maybe because like back in the day, comics weren't seen as worthwhile or, or worth any money, so most of them were just thrown in the trash after use, or at some point the mom just found the collection and threw them away, and that's why they're super rare, and that's why they're worth a lot, as opposed to today when everybody's saving them all in plastic and they're overproducing the shit out of them and none of these things matter anymore because it's not the first appearance of anything, maybe they won't be worth anything in 10 years? What we're trying to say is something about the Clinton administration <laughs> made the laws of supply and demand vanish from the minds of America. <laughs> I don't know what happened, but I bought it too. I bought so hard into this. I have all these really silly X-Men uh, issues yeah, yeah. with like crazy holograms on them and stuff like that. I had three issues of Torok Dinosaur Hunter number one with the chromium cover. And that's the thing. Everybody, people were buying multiple issues. One that they would never open and then two other ones just in case you know one just in case and the other one that they would actually read so it was just insane yeah i used to have like a go bag with my most valuable comics like when the uh, tornadoes used to always come when i was a kid oh. i had a go bag that i would take with me down to the storm cellar because i valued yeah. those comic books just as much as my own life that's <laughs> so real <laughs> God, that's so real. So with these gimmick covers, with the opening of all these comic book shops, with this oversaturation, also, in a way, it was kind of uh, the the Batman breaking his back issue and the death of Superman. People who- Don't forget about the clone saga. Exactly, right? <laughs> People, like, really bought into that thinking that- the, these comic book creators weren't going to immediately bring these properties back or immediately mm. do something to bring Batman back, bring Superman back. They legitimately thought it was the end of the of this of this story. Yeah, and the whole thing, the magazine driving the entire thing, Wizard Magazine, which yes. I think Wizard has kind of fallen back into the, the shades of time, mm. but Wizard Magazine was extremely important to all Huge. this. They were the ones that drove the prices of all of this stuff. Completely arbitrary arbitrarily mm-hmm. like they will fully admit that it was all completely and totally arbitrary and they'll just and they just price things yeah yep. uh oh uh, the the marriage of of bad rock that's an extra three bucks bad rock. <laughs> <laughs> um so okay so all the comics publishers were making bank upon bank upon bank and the creators had always known they were getting screwed over 
So uh, Tom McFarlane, who was already having issues with, <laughs> get it, yeah. uh, with uh, editorial at Marvel, was like, listen, I know people like like Spider-Man, but I know even more, they love cool chains and titties. <laughs> <laughs> so we formed Image Comics with a couple people. The first issue of Spawn is put out as one of the big banner comic book series uh, for Image Comics. The first issue sells for 1.7 million copies. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to say at least to Spawn's credit and Todd McFarlane's credit, he didn't do the gimmick covers. He didn't have the holograms. He didn't have stuff like that. And he was outselling everyone else mm -hmm. uh, with, with Spawn comics. Uh, now, let's get... So let's get into the character of Spawn. The yes. creation of this of this very bizarre man. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, actually, can we just... Um, uh, we actually have John Leguizamo describing the plot of Spawn. Mm -hmm. um, actually, Marcus, can, can we get that first, and then we'll just yeah. fill in the gaps? Because John Leguizamo played a character in the Spawn movie in 1997. Yes. This is him explaining the plot of Spawn to Charlie Rose. <laughs> he wanted to go home. What's the story? The story's tough. This is tough <laughs> because it's about a CIA assassin mm -hmm. who was set up by hell. Right? Mm -hmm. So we set him up for a bad mission. We burn him. He comes to hell. Now he's burnt. And we say, okay, what do you want, Spawn? And he goes, I want to go back to be with my wife. So we say, sure, but we want you to lead our armies. And he says, I'll do it. So we bring him to Earth, and he's burnt. And he goes like the monkey's paw, and he goes to his wife, and she's like, ah, you're burnt. You're hideous, you know? <laughs> so now he's crawling on Earth, and he's all ugly and hideous. And I come around to make him, to make him really angry and set, you know, start Armageddon and apocalypse, the apocalypse. <laughs> yeah, pl I mean, the plot isn't the most important thing in Spawn. Oh, and don't forget that Spawn is a black man. Yes. Because is. Todd McFarlane sure, sure oh, as hell never let you forget. There's a clip of him being like, I would say this fantasy of, uh, you know, of, uh, of Spider-Man uh, just, you know, telling, uh, telling a rich guy like... Uh, you know, it's like, how do you know what's colors under the skin of this mask? And, uh, you know, that always stuck with me. So I was like, why not make Spawn, uh, you know, an African-American? And, uh, you know, it's very good. And, like, so, and it's this thing that comic books always do where they're like, hey, it's a black character. Aren't we progressive? You can't really see his face. Also. And he's burnt. Well, let us not forget Spawn number three, I think. Is oh, when it's revealed that three? he has shape-shifting powers. Because uh, he has, it's revealed that he can use his magic because, of course, the whole thing is that he has a finite amount of magic. Hell and magic. then once he uses up all of his hell magic, then he has to go to hell. Yes. Uh, and so he uses his hell magic. Magic to fix his burned face because so he of course can, he's completely burned, so he can go and talk to his Wanda. Wife. Wanda, Wanda. You can go talk to Todd Wanda. McFarlane's wife is named Wanda. Oh, uh, they started dating when she was thirteen, Ooh. and he <laughs> was a senior in high school. Oh, Calgary God. man, what are you gonna do? Well, <laughs> if he was a senior in high school, that means he had already designed Spawn for the first time because mm. Spawn was actually designed when he was sixteen years old, the mm. first time it was put on paper, and I think that's why it really speaks. <laughs> To, to like like thirteen year old me, you know, when I was collecting the comic, I you know, like it really was from a prepubescent, you know. So Spawn loves his yeah, wife, he... his beautiful black wife, Wanda. <laughs> so he goes and he thinks, oh, I've got all this hell magic. Why don't I use the hell magic to fix my horribly disfigured face? And then he uses it, but you know what? Like John Leguizamo said, monkey's paw. It turns him into 
a white man. Oh, no. There's a really funny panel where it's just this blonde white guy, like, punching him air, being like, no, damn it, I am a black man. (laughs) 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 I was really progressive, you know? I was was, something you've never seen before. It's fine. Now, I wasn't really sold on Spawn in the first three issues, I have to say, but I did collect the very next issue that came out that month, and after that, I was true blue a Spawn fan because that was the first... Uh, the first time we met a little-known character named The Violator. Mm. Clown slash The Violator is one of the fucking kind of coolest characters. Like, I love him. <laughs> like, yeah. and the fight was awesome. Like, I was la- it was the first time a comic made me laugh out loud, their mm-hmm. fight that they had with each other because they were, like, ripping each other's limbs off. and Eviscerating each other. Yeah, talking all this crazy shit, and I just couldn't believe what I was reading. It was so violent and over-the-top and ridiculous um, that, you know, it, it, uh, I should explain, it is, uh, Violator is um, from hell as well. He is a demon. He is dressed, uh, he looks like an incredibly large, uh, overweight clown, but he turns, When he's in human when form. When he's in human form, but then... Terrible he, disguise, by the way. Yeah. Not very subtle. <laughs> Not very subtle whatsoever. He's wearing a leather jacket. He has very weird <laughs> hair. Eyes and teeth. Everything and blue paint. It doesn't look like a normal clown even. <laughs> um, but And then he turns into this horrifying looking demon and the design is great. And we, I mean, because the design is what the whole thing is about. I mean, we're talking about this is this is just, you know, a, a way to sell toys, a way to just be like, this. Is, how do I create the coolest looking thing I can possibly create? There, uh, there are artists that like uh, kind of break from uh, kind of traditional designs and like tap into something truly psychological. I'm thinking of like H.R. Giger and uh, a few other like uh, very famous concept artists. And the monster designs and in Spawn truly spoke to the psyche of its intended audience. Mm. Like the anatomy is like all these weird like lanky bony extensions followed by like unsettling bulges. Yeah. The jaw of like that just. Just, just is sprinkled with teeth and just this horrifying body length grim. Yeah, and two huge horns coming out of the side of his head and, and one, one gigantic yeah. one coming over the top. Like it, the horn comes from his back and like yeah. bends over the face. Yeah, it's like a whole. It's kind of a dinosaur-like. Yeah, yeah. which uh, kids all these love kids, dinosaur. kids love kids dinosaurs. Dinosaurs rule, especially with the plane electric guitars. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, um, uh, the Lord of Hell that he makes the deal with the devil, uh, the deal with to sell his soul is Mal. Malbolgia, which is another intensely horrifying. A lot of what you described is a lot of what he yeah, looks so like. a little Malbolgia staring at us. The, the, really the Malbolgia that we have here in the studio is the same one that I had as a child. Oh, that is I got him for Christmas. My mother <laughs> bought me that horrifying demon monster for Christmas. I love you, Mom. And I had a spawn action figure, and I believe I had a violator as well mm-hmm. um, from the same series that that was printed from. Um, Malbolgia derived from the Malbolge, a term in Dante's Inferno to design uh, to find the ditches in the eighth circle of hell for humans who committed fraud. <laughs> so there you go. The more you know, yeah, Marcus. And, and that would be, and the whole thing was kind of a trick. So there you yeah, go. That's, a, that's pretty interesting. So he sold his soul to Malbolgia so he could return and see his wife, but tricks on him. He's a mangled man, an mm. ugly man, and so he has to go hide in the shadows with a bunch of bums, especially the, of course, mystical bum, uh, Cogliostro. Mm-hmm. Which, uh, uh, spoiler alert, he turns out to be Kane. Oh, my God. 
fucked. <laughs> so there's like all these like scary Bible references. There's yes. all this horror going on. Uh, he has this weird CIA black ops heritage. So there's guns everywhere. Yep. Um, the the there's two goofy detectives, Sam Burke and Twitch Williams. People say that's like what holds up the most. Yeah, <laughs> is the Sam and Twitch segment. Uh, a little, a couple little things. Um, I need to find this, but I believe I still have a notebook hidden somewhere in my home back in Charlotte. Of I, I actually the only thing I've drawn that I was actually proud of was a depiction of Spawn. I spent months on it. And also, the only comic book idea I ever wrote down and create panels for and stuff was based off those two detectives. And it was called Smokey and Spiky. One had spike powers. He could shoot spikes out of himself. That was for, like, the triangles are easy to draw. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and uh, Spiky was, um, or Smokey was, like, this the thinner with the glasses detective. And he could go through pipes and do stuff and use his smoke powers and stuff. I was heavily influenced by Spawn when I was yeah. a child. Is what and that's a, so here's the thing this is how kids operate kids take in the things that they enjoy and just kind of spit them out but like a little bit different so spawn is a very derivative book like literally the first few panels is like a lightning strike against a church like in dark knight returns uh, a lot of spawn is spent like just you know harassing junkies and alleyways a lot of alleyways yeah no it's nothing but alleyways yeah. just a lot of alleyways which is a very like it's a very empowering fantasy to like think about the criminals and like the delinquents that are that could threaten your soft pasty body and being like back off you don't hurt anyone ever again and you don't take my lunch money i'm sorry man it's a mistake man i promise well you'll be extra sorry when i fucking rip your shit off <laughs> yeah, and, all, and all the villains like represented both like overkill was just a gigantic like a big gigantic bully cyborg mob enforcer mm -hmm. yeah then then there was Tremor. Uh, that was another just gigantic bully monster. Mm -hmm. What about Cyger, the cybernetic gorilla? Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> the Redeemer, a.k.a. anti-spawn. Mm -hmm. He was just a big, crazy sort of spawn-like. Spawn yeah. And then there was Violator, and Violator had the Fleabiac brothers. All of his, <laughs> He had the other brothers that came from hell, including Vindicator, Vandalizer, Vaporizer, and Vacillator. Yay! <laughs> Fantastic. I'm sorry, could you say that one more? Can you say the brothers again? Vindicator, Vandalizer, Vaporizer, Vacillator. Vindicator, Vandalizer, Vaporizer, Vacillator. Vindicator, Vandalizer, Vaporizer, Vacillator. Pardon me, boys. This is the Chattanooga And it was all very surfacy, And, you know, to the point where Spawn's costume is regularly used as a plot point, it morphs into a cooler version of itself throughout the series, and it's given new powers and stuff like that. And we even have a clip of the kind of thought process that um, Todd McFarlane went through when he was designing Spawn, and as you can see, the, not a lot of deep thought put into it. Marcus, do you want to play that real quick? The eyes are, are green, and they're, and they're green because the devil that created him, I gave him red eyes. And so the violator has red eyes, and any, anybody that comes from hell, per se, has red eyes. Yeah, really. <laughs> Boy, he even threw in a per se. Yeah, yeah. And, and he didn't answer the question. Yeah. <laughs> And then later in that clip, he even talks. He's like, I just thought it looked cool, like in the dark, if you just had a couple floating green eyes staring at you. This is uh, something he said about his creative process is that he doesn't do a lot of self editing. He just kind of thinks about what he thinks he's cool, and he thinks he's a regular, normal guy. And if he thinks it's cool, then there's probably millions of other normal guys that think that's cool. There you go. And he just goes ahead and does it. Um, and by guy, he means 13 year old child. <laughs> uh, but no, there's so there's a lot like. The, the, the Spawn character design is 
compelling. The cape like flows and folds in on itself. It's a, it's an organism, by the way. It's they a said that after once everyone was like, "Hey, nothing about this makes sense." <laughs> <laughs> um, and at one point in the comic book, he meets Harry Houdini. That's right. I remember the Harry Houdini one. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and there was a lot of times when the the suit just sort of ran away, and so Spawn was just naked. Yeah, and most of the time he uh, opted for a trench coat and hat, and that was it. <laughs> um, there is a uh, there's a video you can find on YouTube called uh, Todd McFarlane Facts and Illusions, <laughs> and it was filmed in front of like at peak Spawn in front of a crowd of literally eleven to fourteen year olds who are all there to hear how to make it in comic books. This is like at the peak, and he is like. He is proselytizing to these kids, and all of them have their like portfolios. All of them love comics. All of them love superheroes. All of them love Spawn. And he's telling them how like if anyone tells you that uh, you know is too violent, like you know you know if Bugs Bunny shoots a guy, you know it doesn't mean you're gonna kill a guy. Don't listen to him. Uh, he's like he's pitching the product, and he has an art desk set up because he you know because people are gonna ask him questions about uh, how to make comics and like the two key lessons he actually goes ahead and does in between rambling about why he's awesome and why you shouldn't take no shit from nobody is uh number one make sure you draw some real beefy arms <laughs> like literally step one like how to draw how to draw from Tom McFarlane Giant step one arms. pecs connected to biceps that is literally his number one lesson <laughs> and it's like now I'm gonna do a trade secret I'm gonna show you how to draw a cape and it's just a bunch of, like, lines and squiggles <laughs> where he's like, uh, you know, some people think of a cape as, like, a little triangle or a piece of fabric. I think of it more as, like, origami. <laughs> <laughs> so it is, like, it's about power and striking a silhouette. And yes. it's, it's it's a single pose that can that can just make you go, like, fuck yeah. Exactly. Um, and uh, uh, also, uh, what, he has a little crossover with Spawn at one point. That, with uh, Batman. I mean, with Batman. Yeah. Uh, thank you for... <laughs> <laughs> Spawn you... met Spawn at one point. <laughs> he has a crossover with Batman. Um, spoiler alert, they uh, are mad at each other at first, but then they begrudgingly decide to work together. Well, there was Spawn Batman, and then there was Batman Spawn. Uh, it was two different... Uh, and it's also is I have uh, one of up them. there with the Clone Saga. It's considered... Some of the worst comic books of the '90s. Yeah, it's it's pretty bad. Yeah, I remember me even thinking it was bad, and yeah. I was like a little kid who <laughs> thought everything was really cool. Yeah, and the weirdest thing is how he started bringing in like really good writers. Mm-hmm. Like he brought in Neil Gaiman, mm-hmm. uh, Alan Moore. Speaking of crossovers, uh, this is a bit of a crossover to a different episode we did, the one on Neil Gaiman. So he brought Neil Gaiman in to write Spawn number nine, uh, in which Gaiman and McFarlane. I mean, it's it's very unclear who kind of came up with what, but um, they introduced a character named Angela that was constantly reused. They introduced that mystical bum I, I talked about earlier, Cogliostro, and as well as Medieval Spawn. Um, probably Gaiman had a lot more to do with these characters than McFarlane, <laughs> and um, it ended up causing this huge lawsuit. Um, Decades long. Yeah, because apparently at one point, after years of like royalties going to both of them, Gaiman just sent a... Uh, 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 or rather McFarlane just sent Gaiman a notice saying he owned all the rights in the characters suddenly. And it all it all came to a head when actually Gaiman was trying to get the rights for a different character called Miracle Man um, because McFarlane had bought the assets to Eclipse Comics. Mm-hmm. And so he was uh, t- uh, trying to, to win out on that. That ended up getting thrown out, but the, the court did rule in favor of Gaiman 
Gaiman for the issue of Spawn Number Nine and all of these sort of uh, profits that were received by Angela and everything. He ended up getting full ownership of Angela, which resulted in Angela, this weird Spawn character, showing up in like DC Comics now, mm. which mm-hmm. kind of just blew people's minds. So bizarre. Also, too, like when Gaiman finally put out collections of like the Spawn comics years and years later, he just had to skip Number Nine. <laughs> like, so there's a trade out there that's just like Spawn. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, ten, <laughs> which sucks, and like introduces a very central character to the entire Spawn. Very mythos. important. She's, I, I believe, she's from Heaven. She's yeah. a Spawn hunter, though. Mm. That's what. It, that's I do know that Spawn she's like a is short woman. for Hell Spawn. Oh yeah. By the way, <laughs> by the way, Spawn is short for Hell Spawn. Um. So uh, yeah, this is uh, so he's getting so he is on top of the world. He mm-hmm. is like he went from. Uh, ostensibly a failed athlete living in a trailer. Wow. He was obsessed with baseball growing up. His He and his brothers uh, and his family were just entirely driven by sport and competition, and he uh, got a very uh, terrible ankle injury in college, and that like kind of sidelined his prospects. He had like a little bit of a comeback trying to play for a Toronto Blue Jays farm team, and he was cut. Mm. So, like, he had built his entire life around baseball, and his life was, uh, you know, that was cut short. Mm. And the only other thing he was good at was art. So he took that same obsessive, competitive, aggressive attitude that he had put towards baseball, towards drawing comics. And he talks about sending out hundreds of packets to every single publisher and writer that he possibly could. He talks about sending out dozens a day, just like his entire being was about begging for work. And he talks about starting in the mailroom at Marvel and working his way up from the very, very bottom and and then finally getting into being able to do a little bit of, like, stuff with Batman and stuff, and it it went from there. Yeah, uh, so he, like, he went from rock bottom, this, like, weird, like, baseball comics nerd, to being the richest, most influential cultural figure. With a motherfucking HBO show yeah. in 1997 is the Spawn animated series. It's pretty good. It's weird, man. <laughs> it is, it's, it's still, like, if you have HBO Go, it's on there. You eight, can go watch it. 18 episodes. Um, uh, it... it, 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 it I don't know. I watched a little earlier today. It's it's a decent translation. Also in 1997, though, we get the gem. Just the, such a, ooh, it's so, mwah, it's so good. Spawn the movie oh. happens in 1997, starring Michael J. White as Spawn, John Leguizano as the clown, the violator. Michael Leg- J. White, you might know more, more now as Black Dynamite. Yes. <laughs> Leguizamo. Totally crushes. He he I hated him so he much. He fucking movie. oh no, dude. <laughs> that he, means he was playing the character of Clown Violator. Yeah, it's perfect. He is a hundred percent invested in this character, man. He gives every ounce of himself to this role. And we do have one of my favorite clips queued up, Marcus. Let's hear it real quick oh, here. Oh no. Wins. <laughs> and when I catch him. He's gonna wish he had killed me when he had the chance. That's it. That's the spirit. Just think of me as your guardian angel. The clown from hell. You're Jimmy Stewart, and I'm Clarence. 
Oh, well, uh, uh, every time uh, somebody farts, a uh, uh, demon gets his wings off. Uh, uh, you know, uh, twins. <laughs> Get away from me, you foul-smelling maggot. <laughs> God, he's so good. There's a master cut of all the clown scenes in uh, Spawn on YouTube. I highly recommend it. Um, McFarlane was originally working with Columbia Pictures. But he pulled out with them um, uh, because he wasn't given enough creative control. Then he sold the rights to the film to New Line Cinema for $1 in order to have creative input and merchandising rights. Mm. It grossed $87 million worldwide on a budget of $40 million. The New Line president, um, and, and this is definitely a good indicator of like where comic book movies were at at the time. He said the, the, the president of New Line said the success hinged on an adaptation that maintains PG-13 rating but uh, retains its darkness. And everything was trying to be PG-13 back then, but be edgy and mm-hmm. dark and, you know, and toe, and toe that line. The script was written by Alan B. McElroy. He also wrote uh, episodes of the TV show. Um, and he also wrote uh, the first Resident Evil movie. He wrote Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers. Mm-hmm. He wrote the Tekken movie. He there wrote was a, a Tekken movie? I guess. <laughs> he wrote a movie called Three, and one of the E's is the number three. He's that kind of guy. He wrote The Condemned 2, and he also, my favorite one, he wrote Left Behind, the fucking shitty... What, the Christian one? Yeah, the Kirk Cameron-starred just... Okay, not the Nicolas Cage one. No, the garbage... Even worse, this is the the Christian apocalypse movie with Kirk Cameron. This is a shitbag of a film. So he's got some real interesting ones under his belt. Um, Some other interesting facts. Michael J. White, uh, he spent, what, I think it was four hours getting into makeup every day. Um, his yellow contact lenses irritated his eyes. The mask restri- uh, restricted his breathing. Michael J. White said of the character, it's the most tragic character I've encountered in any cinematic production. Michael J. White to this day wants a sequel. Yeah. He loves this character. He <laughs> thinks it's the best, he man. He was awful in this. <laughs> Get away from me, you foul-smelling beast. You have to. You needed an extra pause between me and foul because he had forgotten his line. <laughs> uh, the, oh, God. I mean, there's a lot of, this, this movie uh, represents like a, something that is like very, it's a very bizarre early CG aesthetic. Yes. Where, like, in the middle of what should be a Tons normal movie, it just turns into an episode of Beast Wars. <laughs> <laughs> totally, dude. All the hell stuff and everything. Yeah. There's an intense amount of CG in the film. I want to read you, you guys. This is the, the Spawn soundtrack. I want to read you the list of artists. <laughs> I love the Spawn soundtrack. The list so of much. artists. This better on the... be just as cool as the Bill Nye the Science Guy guest. <laughs> this is the most '90s motherfucking list of of musical artists I've ever heard. All right, let me do it. <clears throat> Filter. Yep. The Crystal Method. Oh, my God. Marilyn Manson. Jesus. W- uh, does a song with Sneaker Pimps. Uh, Orbital. Corn. Oh. The Dust Brothers. Oh, my God. Butthole Surfers. Oh, my God. Metallica with DJ Spooky. <laughs> Stabbing Westward. Oh, my God. And then Prodigy and Tom Morello do a song together. Silver Chair. It doesn't end there. Henry Rollins and Goldie. Incubus, Slayer, and Atari Teenage Riot, and Soul Coughing. Jesus. Let me give you this one. Satan! 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 
<laughs> you don't get me, Mom! I'm getting a tattoo from a guy near down the street! <laughs> this is Orbital featuring just Kirk Hammond. I tried a cigarette yesterday and I fucking loved it, Mom! <laughs> Want me to learn how to read? <laughs> Are you out of your mind? No, I'm not going to synagogue. I'm gonna read Youngblood. Spawn the movie is is basically reviled. It has a 19% on Rotten Tomatoes. It did receive one favorable review from Roger Ebert. He awarded it three and a half out of four stars and said, as a visual experience, Spawn is unforgettable. <laughs> True. true. That is true. That is true. I went, I saw it in the theater with my buddy Brian Schlinker. Right? I know. You made up. You yeah, made up I went time. with my friend Brian Schlinker. We totally went in and we left high fiving the fuck out of each other. We loved Spawn. We loved it. I went and saw it as you're supposed to do a lonely 13 year old with no friends and I hated it. <laughs> I um, was kind of a pussy, so I just didn't like hearth stuff. So I, oh, like, okay. I kind of sat out. And just stayed too, away from it? Seemed too spooky. Yeah, this wasn't your bat. You weren't reading Spawn. I was not. I was too busy uh, collecting all of the Superboy. Cool gay 90s Superboy. <laughs> <laughs> now, I would re- actually really put Spawn as like what got me into all of like the weird occult, like hell demon stuff wow. that I'm into now. Yeah, it was, amazing. it was the fucking gateway for me, man. I thought it was the coolest shit in the world. <laughs> Somewhere there's a Christian, like 70-year-old like grandma listening to this podcast for some reason just being like called it i knew it i knew it yeah you were right grandma this, all this shit totally fucked me up now since uh since 2007 there has apparently been a reboot on the rise uh, in a radio interview mcfarland said it's coming out no matter what even if i have to produce direct and finance it myself it's going to come out i think that was actually back in 07 in 09 mcfarland announced he began writing the screenplay he said the story has been in my head for seven or eight years that the movie idea is neither a recap or continuation it is a standalone story that will be R-rated, creepy, and scary and that the tone of this Spawn movie will be for a more older audience like the film The Departed. God. Which is ridiculous. That's such a ridiculous the statement. Departed? The Departed. <laughs> Wait, it wasn't. I the way I because he keeps teasing this thing. Last I heard, he was like, "No, it's going to be like Paranormal Activity. It's going to be like a normal. It's going to be a Spawn movie, but like you'll only see Spawn flickering in the corner." Right. He he talked about how it was only it was going to be more based on the detectives, ah. and that Spawn would never say a word. But I think that actually might be him talking about Spawn the animation. That's the other thing that he's saying is definitely coming. out out. Uh, so I don't know. It's uh, he's sort of all over the place with it. With the, with Spawn the animation, he said I'm nine. I'm 85 percent done with it. I just literally have to pick a studio, put a music score on top of it, and I'm done. He said that in 2009. Mm. Uh, and Jay White is totally all about it. <laughs> he's he's quoted as saying, "I hope McFarlane does make the film. In the next couple of years, I might have to produce it myself." They're all saying they're gonna. I'm gonna do make this thing myself. He, Jay White says it's a no brainer. Look at how these movies have done. <laughs> Superhero movies that have gone dark, and there hasn't been one darker than Spawn. If we do it like we want to, it could be a game changer. I think Todd feels the same way as me, that we go R. It's very important to both of them that they go R. Who is this man? (laughs) He's Okay, I will tell you who Todd McFarlane is. No, I'm talking about Michael J. White. He says, not not a kinder, gentler Spawn. We go straight R. Like, why would they they make a kinder, gentler Spawn? We're going full bush. He says, like, pushing it. 
pushing NC-17. <laughs> I love that I the mean, rating is so important to them. It's pretty fair because anyone on Earth who would possibly care about a spawn anything is... 37. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, I, I do hope that they're still they're still reaching for the stars, that we get our, our Spawn remake. I will be there. I will go see it day one. I mean, Todd McFarlane could fund it himself. Do you know, did you look up how much Todd McFarlane is worth? No. $300 million. Oh, my God. Uh, and counting. I mean, Image yeah. is doing great today, right? He still probably gets some kind of profits. And Spawn is still running, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Spawn still goes to this day. He's, and the guys, and I, I, you know, I've worked at various comic book stores. The guys that buy Spawn are dudes who started reading Spawn when they were 12 damn. and never stopped. Damn. His goal is to uh, get to number 301. Because uh, uh, Cerberus, Dave Sims Cerberus, made it to 300. Ah. And so he would have the record for the uh, longest-running independent book. <laughs> uh, Fantastic. Also, he spent $2.7 million on Barry Bond's 70th home run ball. I'm sorry, <laughs> on uh, Mark McGuire. Mark McGuire's 70th home run ball. Of course. Yeah. Barry Bond's 73 home runs, which broke the record three years after he spent $2.7 million on Mark McGuire's ball. And he was super pissed off about it. <laughs> I, I really do. I remember there being a story about how mad he was because he had spent so much money on the Mark McGuire baseball. <laughs> so a surface, surface comic book that came out right in time during the most surface time in comic book history, uh, blown out of the blown into into the success uh, nanosphere. A that toy was a empire sentence. that changed how action figures were created and distributed. Yeah, and I mean, I think he makes a lot of his money on McFarlane toys. That's the thing. I mean, he really did it for comic books. What you know, Ninja Turtles and Transformers were already doing with animated shows, albeit they got their respective comic books. But still, he he, he cracked the code for comic books. And um, I mean, I, I'm guessing they still make those toys today, uh, and they look damn good. Yeah, that um, was the dis- like the same way that no book looked. No book had as many, like, weird muscles and worms as a Todd McFarlane book. No toy was as detailed and, like, impressive as a McFarlane toy. They kind of understood the fact that people weren't buying them as, like, actual toys to, like, dunk into the mud in your backyard. They were owning them to have, like, an affordable, cool statue to put on your shelf. Yeah, you know what uh, McFarlane toys motto is? McFarlane toys. It's an attitude. Was that popping noise your bones? I swear I heard bones pop when he did that little shimmy. <laughs> yeah, they're still, I mean, yeah, they make the Walking Dead toys for oh. AMC. Like, oh. they do Five Nights at Freddy's. They do Assassin's Creed toys. Yep. They do uh, Attack on Titan toys. Oh, cool. Yeah, they do everything. Yeah, that's great. Well, I think that's about the story of Spawn. That is the story. Uh, oh, uh, one qu- other factoid. Yes, uh, please. About, about uh about uh, Spawn is uh, the sp- uh, the character Spawn's uh, alter ego is his true identity is Al Simmons, mm-hmm. which was the name of uh, his neighbor when he was living in New York, and I'm pretty sure that was the only black person he knew. Oh. <laughs> Almost Thanks. positive, and he used to dress up that Al Simmons in uh, Spawn costumes and like put him <laughs> next to cars and like make him go to comic book conventions and shit. And oh. luckily, Al Simmons didn't sue him like Tony Twist, the hockey player, did and won fifteen million. <laughs> dollars because uh, McFarlane stole Todd Tony Twist's name and likeness for his mob character Antonio Tony Twist Twistelli. Mm-hmm. And uh, let's if anyone <laughs> want, really wants to go uh, and check out some Spawn comics, I'd like to read the uh, a very short two sentence synopsis for Spawn number eleven. Please, uh, this might give you a good idea. 
two factions of cyborgs are battling over <laughs> turf. Their gang war is spilled over into Spawn's alley, and he is not pleased. <laughs> However, sometimes subtlety is a far more effective weapon than brute force, as these cybernetic killers are about to learn. Includes a black and white poster of Spawn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, um... Hey, this has been another episode of The Wizard and the Bruiser. Uh, please uh, like and uh, rate and review us on iTunes. You can catch me on Holdenator's Ho on Twitch and Holdenator's Ho on Twitter. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Best Jake Young, and uh, you can go to dorkly.com on YouTube. Uh, go to dorkly.com, go to dorkly on YouTube, go to the Drawfee channel on YouTube. Uh, these are all places where I am online doing things. Fuck yeah, you tools. I mean, I mean, please. It would, it would, I, I feel like you like it. We try our best. <laughs> no, it's not always, you know. It's like you call them tools because you have attitude, and then it gets them all riled up, and then they get into what you're doing. Leave us a review, you nipple twisters. You bat, you ninnies. <laughs> For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to cavecomedyradio.com. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, We've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. Chapter 1. Wayfair welcomes you to the neighborhood. Our hero, Titus Burgess, ambled down the stylish street of an enchanting utopia. A woman waved from a chic lounger. Welcome to the neighborhood," she said, where Wafer helps everyone create a home they love. Titus stared in awe. Bohemian Boulevard, Trendsetter Terrace, Mid-Century Circle. Titus, hmm? you're reading the Wayfair catalog. Oh, you'll love Chapter 2. Wayfair's fast and free shipping saves a potluck. Wayfair, every style, every home.